Well, welcome to the City Church. My name is Clayton Walker. I'm the lead pastor here of the city. And last week we started a series called Project One, where as a church family, we're looking at where God has us, where he's taking us as a people and what it's going to take to get there. And so we're, we're calling this season that we're in of kind of casting vision about who we are as a church, where we're headed and what it's going to take to get there. We're calling that season and this series, Project One. And our team has put together these guidebooks. And so I hope you brought yours from last week. If you weren't here last week, maybe you were sick, out of town, whatever, that's totally fine. Would you just raise your hand so our team can bring you a guidebook this morning? Uh, this is where our vision's at. It'll tell you where we're headed, where we're going. It's our sermon notes for this series for the next month. It's our small group guide for the next month. And so, yeah, would you just lift up your hand? No shame. No, a lot of people were gone last week. Totally fine. Just lift up your hand. Our team is passing those books out right now. Well, Project One, the name comes from this idea in scripture that there's one God and one name by which we're saved and one faith, one Lord, one baptism, and, and really one choice to make, that there's one family uh, of God and one focus that's, that's worthy of giving our lives to. And so in Deuteronomy chapter six, the Lord says through Moses to the nation of Israel, hear, hear Israel, hear O Israel, the Lord your God is one. There is no other God. And so you're gonna worship and serve me alone. So, so we learn in the scripture from the very beginning, there, there is one God. And then we get to the New Testament, Peter's preaching, and he says in Acts 4 verse 12, there's only one name by which we can be saved and made, be made right with this one God. Like there's one way and one name by which we can have a relationship with God, be right with God, and go to heaven when we die. And that's the name of Jesus, Paul would say it like this, there's only one mediator between us and God, and that's the man Christ Jesus, the God man Christ Jesus. There is no other mediator between us and God, Paul said. So you're not the mediator, I'm not your mediator. There is no other mediator, Paul said, between you and God except Jesus Christ alone. So one God, one name, Jesus, by which we are saved and made right with God. And so that means there's one family, one family, there's one there's a family of God, these, these followers of Jesus that adhere to one faith. There's not multiple faiths. No, there's only one true faith. Jesus, I'm the way, the truth, and the lives. One God, one name by which we're saved. There's, there's one family, the, the, this family of God, one faith, one focus, the Jesus mission that we talked about last week, going and making disciples. And so if, if this is all true and we believe that it is, then that means we've got one choice. We go all, all in, all, all in. Not, not, not some of us giving all or all of us giving some. No, we are all, all in with one God, one name, one faith, one family, one focus. We're all, all in. And what we've said in this series and we're going to continue to say in this series is that it's time for a new core group to rise up and launch us into this next season of our church. And it's gonna take faith, surrender, sacrifice, and risk, just like what it took for our original core group of about 100 people that, that launched this church about four years ago. It's time for a new core group to rise up and come alongside them and stand shoulder to shoulder with that original core group and say, hey, we're all all in, just like you are, and we're gonna give our all to one faith, one family, and one focus. We're going all, all in, and whatever it takes, we're, we're down. 
It's going to take faith. It's going to take surrender. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take risk for us to step into this next season as a church. And this is what Project One is all about. We said this last week. God has blessed us. He's blessed us as a church. He's blessed you. He's blessed me. And with that blessing comes a responsibility to multiply that blessing for the blessing of the world. And so it's going to challenge us to ask ourselves a lot of questions. We said this last week, some like just basic discipleship questions. And one of those questions is what, what is my engagement? What is my personal engagement in the mission of God? And what does that look like? And so if you were not here last week, you missed last week, there's a great like 12 minute video presentation of our vision and where we're headed and what we're seeking to do as a church and, and what it's going to take. You can catch that on our website, on our podcast, things like that. Uh, go check that video out, get caught up, watch the message from last week so that you're caught up with this. Because here's what I'm asking you to do in this series. I'm asking you to be here each week. Now, I know we've all got things going on, things come up, people get sick, work, all those times. I, I totally get it. What I'm saying is I, I'm asking you every weekend that you can, like, be here for this series. And when you do have to miss, then, then, then get caught up. Watch the messages back because this is an important season. It's a critical moment in the life of our church. I'm not saying these sermons are the best things you've ever heard. I, I'm just saying we're at a critical juncture point in the life of our church. And we're asking you to engage with us and make sure you're connected and plugged in with what's going on. We believe this season is a season that's going to change our church. We believe it's a season that's going to set our church up. Like we said last week to be a remnant that turns the world upside down for the gospel. That's, that's what was said about the early church, those early believers in the book of Acts. It, it, it was said that they were turning the world upside down. That's what some non-believers were saying about the early church. They're turning the world upside down. And I want it to be said of you and me that we turn the world upside down with the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We wanna be a remnant, a faithful people of God, regardless of what's going on around us, a remnant that will seek God and turn the world upside down with the great news of the gospel. A couple of other notes before we kind of dive in today. First of all, on Wednesday, November 2nd, we are having what's called an advanced commitment night, advanced commitment night. This is an opportunity for anyone who is ready to lead out with their project one commitment and join us. It's going to be a really special service. Uh, our team has put together some powerful elements, and we believe it's going to be a significant and defining moment in the life of our church and then in this Project One season. And we'd love for anyone who's ready to go ahead and make their commitment to, to come and join us in this kind of leading out moment. And, and we're just praying that what this group does in Advanced Commitment Night is going to just set us up, lead the way, set an example for the rest of our church on Sunday, November 13th. So that's the second announcement. Sunday, November 13th. That's Commitment Sunday for Project One. And so I want to challenge you, mark your calendars, November 2nd for Advanced Commitment Night if you're ready. Sunday, November 13th, that's going to be our Project One Commitment Sunday where we covenant together as a church to take this step together. Well, as we've said and we'll continue to say throughout this series, to realize Project One, this vision that God has put on our hearts, to live for and to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves, to make an eternal impact. It's going to take each of us individually and corporately together walking the same path that a man by the name of Abraham did. We're looking at the life. We're doing a character study of the life of one of the most important figures in all of human history, Abraham, to see 
how God multiplied his life for eternal significance. And more importantly, we're we're looking at the path that God led Abraham down to accomplish that. Because it's a path that you and I are going to have to walk too. If we want our lives to multiply for eternal significance, if we want to live and be a part of something that's so much bigger than ourselves. And listen, I, I just believe that's what you want. Like as a follower of Jesus who has the Holy Spirit, like your soul, that the spirit inside of you is beating to be a part of something that's bigger than you, to live for something bigger than you. And that's the glory of God. You may not even ever realized it before, but, but that's, the, that's the heartbeat inside of you. That, that, that's the, the restlessness maybe inside of you, to, to live for something bigger than you, the glory of God, to make an eternal impact, to live a life that makes sense in light of eternity. That, that's the Holy Spirit of God that's beating for that inside of you saying, Give yourself to something bigger than you. Don't live for a small story that's just wrapped up in yourself. No, live for something bigger than yourself. Live for the glory of God. And so I just believe that's in every one of you. And so that's where the the confidence comes to call us to that and to call you out and to call myself out, to call us not only out to that, but but towards that and and, and what it's going to take for us to live for something bigger than than ourselves for the glory of God. I don't know about you, but my heart is often like a car that's severely out of alignment. And there's two ditches on either side, the left and the right, right? Self-sufficiency and self-centeredness. And from time to time, we, we need to stop and have the Holy Spirit like challenge us to recenter ourselves on the mission of God, living for something bigger than ourselves. And so today we're going to talk about a a component of that path. It's called trust. It's called living by faith. And so let me encourage you to take notes this morning in your project one guidebook. If you turn to page 32, you'll see where week two of project one sermon notes begin all the verses and the points and the fill in the blanks are all there. You can follow along with us in your guidebook on page 32. Now it would be great after last week in Genesis 12, right? It would be great. Like if Abraham chose to follow God in Genesis 12, and that led to this unbroken string of obedience and success and faith victories, but that's just not the case. Abraham's life, much like yours, much like mine is going to be marked by moments of great faith and moments of great failure. And so we rejoice in the faithfulness of God who is always faithful even when we are faithless, even when we are unfaithful, God remains faithful. Genesis chapter 12, in verse 10, God has sent a famine to the region where Abram was staying. And so he has to detour down to Egypt because that's the only place with food. And that's where we're picking up in verse 11. It says this, as he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarah, look, you are a very beautiful woman. Um, When the Egyptians see you, they're gonna say, This is his wife. Let's kill him. And then we can have her. So please tell them, Abraham says to his wife, Abram says to his wife, please tell them you are my sister. That's kind of weird, right? Yuck. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. What do you call this? This is a moment of great failure, right? This is, this is a lack of faith. This is a moment of unbelief. This is a moment of doubt. Like, Abram, do you not believe that the God who promised to make you into a great nation, we saw that last week, can keep the Egyptians from stealing your wife and then killing you? Like, like are you not trusting God here? I don't know about you, but this scene is strangely 
weirdly like comfort, like comforting to me. Is it, is it to you? Because my life has hardly been an unbroken string of success since I became a Christian and since I really started following Jesus when I was a junior in high school. It, it seems like most of my life and every season of my life has been marked by wavering faith. Moments of great faith and moments of great failure. I look back through my life and I see where I've stumbled, I've fallen and disbelieved in almost every season of my life. Moments of great faith. Moments of great failure, moments of great unfaithfulness. We can count at least five instances in Abram's life where he pretty dramatically like drops the ball, right? Like we have this scene in Genesis 12. He's going to have another one in Genesis chapter 16 when he gets worried after a few years because God still hasn't given him this son that he was promised. And so he follows Sarah's lead to sleep with their servant, Hagar. Well, I'm sure you can see how this goes, Right? It's not going to go well. Then Hagar gives birth to a son. They name him Ishmael. And you'd think, success, right? Everyone's happy. No, no one's happy, right? This is a, a miserable failure. Like, this does not go well. Like, think about it. You and your wife can't have kids. And one night in frustration, she says, oh, why don't you just go sleep with our maid and see if you can get her pregnant? And so what do you do? You do it, right? Because your wife said to, and... The maiden's up pregnant, right? It's not going to go well, right? Your wife, you think your wife's going to be happy about that? No, men, even when you listen to your wife, you're still wrong, right? I mean, I'm just kidding. I joke. No, Sarah's ticked. She is upset and she starts abusing Hagar simply for doing what Sarah asked her to do. And Abram, the, the spineless wonder that he is, is like, okay, you girls work that out. You fight that out. And Sarah abuses Hagar. That's failure number three. Then in Genesis 17, God reappears to Abram to renew his promise to give him a son through Sarah. And Abram laughs, the father of the nation of Israel, of the one true God, laughs in the face of God. Then in Genesis 20, Abram runs into another king who scares him, and so he lies again about Sarah being his sister, so the king won't kill him and steal his wife. The same mistake he made at the beginning, he's making again. You might have read that story and thought, oh, they, they, they got it, like they put the same story in there twice. I guess they didn't, no, 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 it happened twice. It, he, he did the exact same, like you ever been there before? You do the exact same thing that got you in trouble, like that moment of great failure, you go right back to it. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling a lot better about my life, right? Anybody else feeling encouraged right now? Talk about what we learn about trust, about living by faith, trusting God, living for something bigger than ourselves. Like, as we talk about that, we're, we're dealing with a man in Abraham who's had moments of great faith, moments of great failure, and yet he trusted God. And he did live by faith. And God used him in incredible ways. And his life has multiplied, made an eternal impact, left an incredibly godly legacy. And so we're going to look at Abraham and what it looks like to live by faith and to trust God today, this morning. Number one, trusting the one, trusting the one true God will involve the testing of your faith. That's what you gotta understand. If you're gonna live by faith, you're gonna live for something bigger than yourself, right? Trusting the one will involve the testing 
of your faith. Right after Abram started to follow God, God caused the famine in the land so that Abram would have to go down to Egypt, a place where he would be scared, right? God was testing and trying to grow his faith. You see, we, we don't just make this one-time decision to follow God and then move on. No, God is going to test you and grow you and grow your faith because you see, faith works like a muscle. You can only strengthen it by straining it. I'm gonna say that again. Faith works like a muscle. It only grows, it only strengthens by being strained. When you work and strain a muscle, you produce thousands of little tiny tears and it, and it grows back even stronger. That's how God grows our faith. He puts us in situations where he tears us so that we grow back, so that our faith grows back even stronger. I, especially as a pastor, I see this happen so, so often. Not only in my own life, but I, I, I see it over and over and over you know, in your lives. As your faith is tested, it's the standard experience. Like Jesus told us in this life, you're gonna have many troubles. Your, your, your faith is going to be tested. You come to Jesus pretty soon, you're gonna go through an experience where you're probably gonna start to ask things like, well, how, how's God gonna provide for me now? I, I know people who've started following Jesus and they lose a job or they get a pay cut. And they think, man, this is how you reward me? No, he, he's testing your faith. He's growing you. Or maybe you ask, like, am I going to be able to make it through this difficult, difficult season in my marriage? Or he'll allow people to turn on you. It happens often in high school, college. You start following Jesus. You start, like, radically following Jesus. And people start to turn on you. You see, behind that, God, God is asking. He's allowing that because he's asking, like, are you really going to love me more than these? More than that, more than this, are you going to love me? You see, faith is the most important muscle in the Christian life, and God is committed to strengthening your faith. Faith isn't just how you begin the Christian life, it's the whole thing. Everything in the Christian life grows in the soil of faith. Number two, Second thing we learn about living by faith, trusting God. Trusting the one will involve the exercising of your faith. The exercising of your faith. God could have given Abram a son immediately, but instead he waited somewhere between 25 and 30 years before keeping that promise. Abram is in his 70s when he first receives this promise from God that we looked at last week. So, so why is God waiting so long? Well, let's go back to the illustration of a muscle. Workout specialists, like my wife, okay? I'm gonna brag on her for a second, all right? She didn't know I was gonna do this, but, um, but I'm brag on her for a second. Um, my wife is a NASM certified like personal trainer, and she's like one credit, three to six months away from becoming what's called an NASM master trainer. And if and, and when she gets that, uh, she will be the only woman master trainer that's in a NASM master trainer in the state of Texas, the only woman, and one of like 24, 25 in the entire country, men, men or women. And so she is what I would call a workout specialist. And so she'll correct me later if I'm getting any of this wrong, okay? So 
We, we talk about, like they talk about workout specialists, not, not we, because I'm not one of them, but workout specialists talk about something called muscle failure. Muscle failure. Like the only way to really strengthen a muscle is to push it until it can't go any further and then it multiplies in its capacity. That's what God is doing with your faith. He pushes it to the brink. Had God given an Abram a son immediately, it would have called for rejoicing, but not faith. Abram had to feel his total helplessness in the face of his own sterility, his hopelessness in the face of Sarah's barrenness to really grow in his faith. And maybe God is doing that with you right now. Maybe you've been there before where your faith is pushed to the brink. Listen, the way you become an Abraham is not pleasant. We said that last week. It's always going to mean getting uncomfortable. It's never pleasant. He leads you through the valley so he can show you that he can provide for you there in the valley. He sends you into the storm so he can demonstrate his ability to walk on water. He allows you to experience conflict around you so that he can show you his ability to provide a table for you in the presence of your own enemies. God is serious about teaching you to live by faith. Faith is not a part of the Christian life, it's all of it. And in order to live by faith, you have to learn to exercise your faith. Last week, we, we saw Paul comparing everything God has given us to a seed. And if you wanna like put some handles on that, think of your time, talent, and treasures. Time, talent, truth. It's a seed that God has given us. And we saw last week to plant back into the kingdom to reap a harvest. God blesses us with that seed in order to multiply it and to receive this harvest of righteousness. Well, when you plant a seed, there's an inherent faith that's required. Faith that the sun's gonna shine, that the rain's going to fall. Otherwise, your seed is wasted. There's inherent faith required in planting a seed. In the 1930s, in Oklahoma, farmers were faced with a very, very difficult choice. A lot of farmers had left their factory jobs in the Northeast for a chance at fortune in the fertile fields of the great American Midwest. But in 1931, there was a huge decade-long drought that commenced. By 1939, only a few farmers remained. Many had just enough grain left to feed themselves and their families for another year. The question was whether they were going to take half of that grain and plant it. Because if no rains came, when the spring hit, they'd have nothing. But of course, if they didn't plant the seed, then they could never reap a harvest. Well, the good news is that in the fall of 1939, the rains came and those who had planted reaped a huge harvest. You see, throughout your life, God's going to continually put you in these situations where your faith is pushed to the brink so that your faith might grow and multiply. And during this project, one season of our church, God's going to call some of you to give and sacrifice and risk in ways that might scare you. The question is, is if we're going to believe God can multiply what we give to him take care of ourselves, take care of us in the process, our families, and bless the world at the exact same time. C.S. Lewis, the great author, said this, 
The only safe rule when it comes to generosity is to give until it scares you because then and only then do you know that you are giving and living by faith. You see, we said this last week, like if you're wanting to live a safe and comfortable life, then we're not really talking to you in this series. We're, we're, we're talking to those of us that say, I want to live for something bigger than myself. I want my life to be a life that multiplies and counts for eternal significance. It's going to take living by faith. It's going to take trust. But you see, faith doesn't become faith until you act on it. A lot of us want to talk about faith, but then when it comes time to show it, well, that's a different story, right? In Hebrew, there is no noun for faith. Faith is only a verb. It's because faith is an action. Faith doesn't become faith until you act on it. Third, third thing we learn about living by faith, trusting the one, living for something bigger than ourselves. Third, trusting the one will involve the positioning of your faith. The, the, the positioning of your faith. Here's what I mean. Like, like where or who or what is your faith in? What, what's the position? Where have you placed your faith? Trusting the one, living by faith, living for something bigger than yourself. It's always going to require the correct positioning of your faith. We know Abraham eventually got this. How do we know that? Because in Genesis chapter 22, like in Genesis 22, God finally has given Abraham his promised son and he asks Abraham to offer up his son as a sacrifice. Now, we're gonna dive more into this later and deal with all those issues, right, and the complexity there, but, but let's just say this for now. Like, Isaac was not only what Abraham loved most in the world, he was Abraham's only son and represented all of Abram's hopes for the future and Abraham went through with what God told him to do. Now, again, we'll dive more into that later in this series. But after falling again over and over and over again, where did Abram finally get the confidence to obey God here? In the toughest of circumstances, when his faith is being pushed to the absolute brink, where, where does this faith, where does this confidence all of a sudden come from? Well, in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham is in one of these times of doubt and God reappears to him and says this. Look with me in verse one, 15 verse one. Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. And Abraham responds says, whew, thanks God, that helps a lot. Like I got some words to a new worship song. This is awesome. Everything's gonna be much better now. No, that's not what Abram says. Look in verse three. In response, Abram says this, you have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants is going to be my heir. Abraham's like, yeah, God, speaking of that reward, the child that you promised me, like, where is he? Like, what do you call that? That's doubt. It's unbelief. It's a moment of great faithlessness. It's a moment of great, of great failure. So God takes him outside. He shows him the stars and the sky. And he says this in verse four, no, your servant will not be your heir for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. And then the Lord took Abram outside and said, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And in the next verse is probably the most famous verse on faith. And it's the verse that the apostle Paul says, shows us how we can be saved. 
before Christ and since Christ. The most important word, one of the most important verses in the whole Bible, it's definitely one of the most important on faith. And Paul would expound on this verse all throughout the book of Romans. Look with me. Chapter 15, verse 6. And here's what Abraham did. And Abram believed the Lord. We're going to say this word together. Ready? And Abraham, one, two, three, believed. You got to catch this. Like you've got to understand this verse and what's happening here. It says, Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord, what's this word? One, two, three, counted. You could say credited. Abraham believed and the Lord counted, credited him as righteous. Was Abraham righteous? No, no, Abraham wasn't righteous. No, we, we, we just got through saying how many moments of great failure that Abraham has faltered in, right? right? No, no, Abraham wasn't righteous, but, but he believed the Lord and the Lord cre- counted and credited his righteousness because of what, what's this word? One, two, three, faith. Abraham believed God and the Lord counted him, credited him with righteousness. Abraham wasn't righteous. He, he had a, a righteousness debt to God, just like you and I have. We, we've all fallen short of the holiness, the standard, the righteousness of God. Like we've fallen short. We're in debt to God. We are not righteous. The Bible says there's no one good, no, not one. Your righteous deeds, the good things that you do are like filthy rags to a holy and righteous God. So you are not righteous. I'm not righteous. Abram wasn't righteous, but Abram believed. Did he do better and try harder? No, that's not what it says. Did, in order to be righteous before God, did he go and take the Lord's Supper? Did he get baptized? No, he didn't do anything because there's nothing you can do to be right with God. Abram believed because of his faith in God, he was counted, he was credited with righteousness. There's an old big theological word that churches used to use, but they stopped using because it's kind of a weird word, but the word is imputed. This is imputed righteousness, which means you had no righteous standing on your own. You were not righteous, but God gifts you righteousness. He gives you a righteous standing before him because of your faith in Jesus. You see, people were saved by faith. They are saved by faith. They will always be saved by faith. You're you're made right with God, but on the basis of faith and faith alone in Jesus who died for you on that cross, paid the fine for your sin, paid the fine for you breaking God's law. Three days later, he rose again from the grave, conquering your sin, conquering death. He met the standard. He fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. You didn't, I didn't, he did. And so the scripture says in Romans chapter three, when you believe, when you believe, when you're, when you put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, your sin is forgiven past, present and future. You weren't righteous, but because of your faith in Jesus, God gives you the righteousness of Christ. Paul writes in second Corinthians five, uh, 20, 21. He says this, um, he who knew no sin, that's Jesus. He was perfect became sin for us. That's him dying on the cross for you and for me. He became, he took on your sin on the cross. So he who knew no sin became sin for you 
Paul then says, so that you might become the righteousness of God. Not do better and try harder. No, you are gifted righteousness by faith in Jesus. Abraham and the nation of Israel looked forward to the Messiah, Jesus, who would die in their place for their sin, making them righteous before God. We look back at the cross where Jesus paid the fine for our sin, completed the righteous requirements of the law, and gifts us righteousness because of our faith. You've got to understand this. It's the most important concept in all of the scripture, that you cannot be good enough to go to heaven. No, good people don't go to heaven, forgiven people do. And you're forgiven of your sin and you're made righteous before God when you give your life to Jesus. And some of you are here and you've never done that before. You've been trusting in yourself. The position of your faith has been in you and in your good works or because you were sprinkled as a baby or because you've taken the Lord's Supper a certain number of times. Like you, you, The position of your faith is in you and what you've done. And that's not what the Bible says saves you or makes you right with God. No, what saves you and makes you righteous right with God is your faith in Christ. And some of you need to give your life to Jesus today, like for the first time so that your sin can be forgiven. You can receive the righteousness of Christ and be right with God and know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. And if that's you, jump on our app, the City Church Lubbock, fill out our connect form and let us know that you're giving your life to Jesus today. Or come talk with one of our pastors after our service. Today's the day, now is the time to give your life to Jesus. After the most famous and maybe most important verse on faith in all of the Bible, Abraham says this, chapter 15, verse eight. Abram replies after this great moment of faith, oh, sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? Great faith followed right after that by great faithlessness, right? I mean, I don't know, but this is like my life, like right, moments of great faith, moments of great faithlessness. How can I be sure? He doubts again. He's doubting two things here. And, and these are the two components that, that form the basis of every doubt that we have. No, number one, the first, the first is Abraham's questioning, God, can I really trust you? Like it's been two decades. Are you really going to keep your word? So I don't know if I can trust you. That, that's the first component. The, the, the second component is this. Abraham's wondering, but, but I can't trust me. I know that. Like, I, God, I don't know if I can trust you, but I dang sure can't trust myself, right? And Abram in this moment has to be like with God, like, God, let's be real here, right? I've proven to be a screw up, okay? I, I've, I've proven to be pretty unreliable, right? Like, I don't know if I can trust you, but God, let's just, I mean, this is obvious, right? We definitely know we can't trust me in this, right? I'm, I'm probably gonna screw this up over and over and over again. So how can I be sure? Well, here's God's answer. Do better and try harder. Nope, that's not the answer. Um, God says, Abram, listen, I, I, you can do it. You know what? You're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. Like, you can do that. Like, no, that's not what he, no. God doesn't go into like an inspiration moment and say, Abraham, you got this. Like, if you really do better and try, like, you got it, buddy. No, no, that's, that's not what happens at all. 
Chapter 15, verse nine and 10, I'm just gonna summarize it for you. God says this, it's a little strange at first. Bring me five animals, a cow, a goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. Cut them each in half and put them on either side of a walkway so that they make a little river of blood in the middle. Now, in case you're like me, you're like, what is going on here, okay? How does this answer my question? Like, how do I know you're really gonna come through, God? How does this answer the question? Well, we live in a written age, so when we want a guarantee, we ask for a written contract. And so when a contractor quotes you a price to work on your house, you, you get it in writing. And so if he comes back and says, well, I've decided to charge you more, then you can say, no, your, your name's right here on the contract. You've guaranteed this price. Well, in their day, instead of signing a contract, they cut a few animals open and walked through the river of blood so that it splashed up on their robes saying, if I don't keep my end of the covenant, then this is going to happen to me. The Hebrew word for covenant is to cut. Cut the animals. And if you don't hold up to your end of the contract, I'm gonna cut you. Seriously, that's the covenant. And you know, I just feel like that would be a lot more effective with your contractors, right? And if you're a contractor, you're like, no, I'd rather have the written contract because if I don't fulfill my end of the contract, I don't want anybody cutting me. And if they don't pay me, I don't really want, well, maybe you do want to cut them if they don't pay you. But, but this was the contract. This was the covenant in their day. Well, they're supposed to make this covenant at sundown in verse 12. Look with me in your guidebook or on the screen. It says this, as the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep. And a terrifying darkness came down over him. Verse 17. After the sun went down and the darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. That's the, these are representing God. Passed between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day. Wait, so God went through the pieces to make the covenant, but, but did Abraham go through? No. No, Abram doesn't go through. You see, in, in those days, if a king made a covenant with a servant, the servant walked through alone because it was assumed that the king would keep his end of the deal. This is the only covenant in recorded history where the king goes through the halves and the servant doesn't. The meaning is clear. If God fails to keep up his side of the bargain with Abraham, he's going to pay with his blood. And if Abraham fails to keep his side of the bargain, God will also pay with his blood. Is Abram gonna fulfill his end of the bargain? No. No, he doesn't. I want you to think about this. God makes himself responsible for both sides of this covenant. God says, I'll pay the penalty if I don't keep up my end of the covenant and I'll pay the price if you don't keep yours either. A clear picture of the gospel of Jesus in the Old Testament, maybe one of the clearest. Just like Abram fell into a deep sleep, we're in the deep sleep of sin. The gospel tells us that when Christ died, a darkness descended upon the whole earth and Jesus' blood flowed out of his side like a river. Was God's son dying because he hadn't kept his end of the bargain? No, he was dying because you hadn't kept yours. 
I hadn't kept mine. And because I didn't, because you didn't, God paid with his own blood. The old hymn says, he took my sins and my sorrow and he made them his very own. He bore my burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. How marvelous, how wonderful. And my song shall ever be. We sang the old hymn, Blessed Assurance, a little bit ago. The blessed assurance isn't that you're ever going to hold up your end of the bargain. It's that you didn't. And God did. And he saved you and rescued you from your sin so that it's not about what you can do or have done. It's about what he has done for you on your behalf. And so that's the blessed assurance, not in myself. Not, that, that's the position of my faith, not in me and what I can do. No, the, the, the blessed assurance is that the position of my faith is in him and what he has done for me on my behalf. This is where Abram got the faith that he showed in Genesis chapter 22 when he was called to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. That this, this scene that unfolded, this, this vision that he had in this dream where, where the Lord alone passes through the halves of the carcasses to say that, that it's all on me. Like, like this scene is where Abram was assured of what God would do and how God would see his promise through to the end, even when Abraham himself would falter over and over and over again. True, even after this scene, Abraham struggles with doubt, but, but you see this conviction settling in, this confidence settling in, where, where the position of his faith is moved off of him and onto the Lord. You see, true confidence doesn't come from within you. It comes from what was done for you. And so here's what this means. No matter where you are or how badly you've stumbled, you can get up and you can go in faith and live by faith because God's commitment to you has never subsided. Proverbs 24 verse 16 says this, the righteous man falls seven times and rises again. God says a righteous man can get back up each time because your righteousness is not shown by you never failing. No, your righteousness is your declaration that where you falter, God is still faithful. Abram fell five times, but each time God says, get up. I've still got a plan. You not, may not be faithful, but I am faithful. And I know some of you, including myself, you've, you've messed up badly. Get up. Getting up is a declaration that faith, a faith that, that God has not given up on you and that he has proved that in Christ. It is your faith declaration that he still has a plan to bless and multiply your life and use it for good. So did you mess up in your marriage? You fall back into porn, made a really bad decision? Get up. Jesus walked through the cross, through Calvary alone, and he'll never give up on you. The fourth thing we learn about living by faith, trusting the one, living for something bigger than ourselves is that trusting the one will involve the rewarding of your faith, the rewarding of your faith. Watch what happens in Genesis chapter 17. God appears again. Look with me in the guidebook or, or here on the screen. And God says this, what's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. If you're here last week, you know, that means daddy. That means father. 
No, instead, God says, you will be called Abraham, big daddy, right? You're not just going to be a daddy. You're going to be a big daddy. Like you're going to have a nation that comes from you. You will be the father, God says, of many nations. Multiplying power comes through faith. Living for something bigger than yourself is the, is the reward of trusting God and living by faith. When Israel would describe, identify who their God is, they would say, we follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They began to identify the one true God as the God of Abraham, their father, Abraham. Just, just, just stop and think about the legacy there of the way God multiplied Abram's life and used his life to make an eternal impact. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What a legacy. What a, what a reward. Trusting the one that's going to involve, it's going to involve the rewarding of your faith. You see, God is serious about teaching you to live by faith and to trust him. But before God can do something through us, before God can do something through, he's got to do something in us. He's got to multiply faith within us before he can multiply ministry through us. And so here's my question for you. Like who's going to point to you from eternity and say, because he or she trusted God, God multiplied them. And now I'm in the kingdom because you lived by faith. I now live by faith. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. like who's going to point to you? Her God, his God. Saved me because they made an eternal investment because they decided to live for something bigger than because because they lived by faith. I I learned of this good news, the great news of the gospel. You see, here's our big idea today: living for something bigger than yourself requires living by faith. If you're going to live for something bigger than yourself, it requires living by faith. And there's a dear couple in our church that has seen this and learned this firsthand over the last six months. And so I want you to see their story on the video. Check it out. In March of this year, we found out that uh, Jacqueline was diagnosed with lymphoma. And so our, our family was rocked um, with that news. And um, it was a lot for us to... Um, a lot for us to comprehend, a lot for us to um, figure out, and the, the shock of it all—it it, was—it was like just getting hit in the face with with the unexpected. You know, it's not something that we would have ever thought of that we were going to go through the uh, challenge of it all, and really the unknown of it all as well. Um, so the, the last six months of that, we've we went through treatments, we went through six rounds of uh, pretty intensive chemotherapy. Um, to, uh, to go through the process. So we've been so grateful um, for the church and for um, a lot of friends and family that have, that have really just lifted us up in prayer 
Um, we, we get texts regularly uh, from church members and that, hey, we're praying for you. Or specific days that we have treatment or specific days that um, we're getting test results. It's, it's, hey, we're praying for you today. We're praying specifically for um, these results from this test and these results from this, you know, wherever we were in that treatment at that time. I would get encouraging prayers and text messages and just really felt God with me in those scary moments. And um, I just think he used a lot of incredible people in our congregation to help lift us up. The prayer gathering where I was prayed over a specific request, I had been experiencing a lot of anxiety leading up to that. And um, there's just a lot of uncertainty with my diagnosis and just, is this going to work? And doubt and just all the things that you go through um, whenever you're hit with something like that. And um, it was pretty incredible because after I was prayed for, I got a very calming peace um, that washed over me. And not only me, but Landon said that he felt it too. I think with this year and the the challenges that, that our family has been going through, I think what we've really clung to is... Um, a lot of God's promises that he, that he cares for us, that he, he wants the best for us, um, and that, that that relationship has been you know, something that, that we've, we've been believers for a while. Um, but then to change it, it was a change, it's been a shift in perspective for us of not just like focusing on our specific relationship with Jesus, but like with our community as well. And, and like we have been blessed beyond measure with the community of, of this body be just loving on us, loving on our family and on our two kids and, uh, and really helping us through the most difficult time that we've experienced in our lives. As a part of our walk and because of where we were and with this perspective of um, really prioritizing things that are of importance for us, um, for our family, we've wanted to go all, all in, in um, with our body of believers that have loved on us so much and, and at the same time we want to do the same thing for our fellow you know believers in the church like loving on on folks with within the church as well and so I think for us that's really what it's been it's like you know we were hit with this tidal wave of um, stuff and and we've really just said you know decided that hey we want to be all all in with our church our church has loved on us and it's something that we've really enjoyed and we really love about about the city. Yeah. Praise God. Their, their faith was tested. And I know many of you have been through very similar situations. Your faith is tested. It's exercised, right? You're, you're, you're struggling within with the position of your faith. Like, has it been in my circumstances and in myself and, or, or, or my stuff? Like, or has it really been in the Lord? Their, their faith is rewarded. And, and not every story ends like that. We, we all know that. 
But through it all, in the, in the testing of their faith, like they, they've remained committed to the Lord and to being used of the Lord. And, and you heard, even heard Landon's like, they're, they're, they're in this season, they're wanting to go all, all in with their, with their church family and be a part of something that's just bigger than them. You see, we need to be challenged over and over and over again to trust God, to live by faith. Because I don't know about you, I'm that, that car that's severely out of alignment, headed towards self-sufficiency or, or self-centeredness. And, and I constantly need to be challenged about whether I'm living with faith or I'm living for my kingdom or his. So what barriers are there to you living like all out for God by faith, living by faith, giving radically and sacrificially and joyfully by faith to be a part of something bigger than yourself. Like, I, I wanna be real with you for a moment, like kind of open the curtains, let you see behind the scenes here for just a second. Like my heart right now is so full because of everything that we're doing as a church, everything we're wanting to do here at the city. Like, like I'm honest, I've never been more excited about what's happening and what's going on. Like, like I feel like, I felt like this week, like my heart was like exploding with like vision and excitement. I was at a prayer gathering with some of our leaders and I was just moved to tears because my heart is so full. But that also means there is so much to resource and fund and, and pay for. I told you about a month ago, we launched our third Hope City location. I got an email from a guy yesterday who said he got baptized Sunday at Hope City and he's here today and he's already looking to like serve and get plugged in and get involved. Our youth group right now is exploding. We've invested in a great leader and Pastor Matt. We're doing more events, more ministry. We, we've launched this like Wednesday night gathering now that kind of surprised us and shocked us like that we're gonna need to, to fund in the future. Our kids' rooms are filling up and some of them are already full. We've got a great full-time leader there now. They're constantly needing more stuff, more materials and things like that to do ministry. Our women's ministry is growing. They got another event tonight. They're constantly doing more and more events our re-engaged marriage ministry that, that Brandon piloted last spring and, and, and this fall, we're, we're, we're hoping to launch like to the rest of our church and to the public in the spring. Our mission partners, local and, and foreign, are in situations where we're wanting to, to, to fund them even more. We're looking to help fund a second translation of the Bible to an unreached people group in addition to the one we're already supporting. Our mobilization system to get people from here to there to unreached people groups is, is going now and we've got people walking through that process. We're caring for more single mothers and those who are struggling financially right now than we ever have before. We launched a foster and adoption vision and ministry this fall and we've got people that have gone through a class and they're, they're praying about what that's gonna look like for them to possibly foster or adopt kids. You can see in your Project One guidebook that we're trying to buy a building in downtown Lubbock to be a home base for all of these things. Like there's so much happening and so much we wanna do. But let me be honest with you. Like, like here's the, the be real moment, right? Here's the, the curtains are open, like you see behind the scenes. Like honestly, we're at a critical moment. We're at a critical moment in the life of our church. And these things are not going to happen and they will be hindered if we aren't willing to invest financially in the kingdom work that is happening here. 
It's going to take all of us being all in, not, not some giving all and not all giving some, but all of us giving our all, all of us being all, all in. And we can be a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. We can make an eternal impact and we can turn the world upside down. We can be a remnant, a faithful remnant that can turn the world upside down. And so here's what I wanna ask you to do. Open your project one guidebook, go to page 27 and you'll see just a sample commitment card, project one commitment card in the book. The, every book has an actual commitment card in it, but I, in case your card isn't in there from last week, I just wanted to, I want you to see this card on, on page 27. We're not filling this out. We're not doing anything. I'm just gonna draw your attention here again to let you know this is something we want you to be praying about and praying over about your family's commitment to project one, to the vision of our church. Will you take this card and just ask God to help you obey fully whatever he says and to trust him? Like whatever, whatever he says, and for, for all, that looks different for all of us. But would you just be praying about what that might look like for you and your family? I want to remind you that on November 2nd is our advanced commitment night. And on Sunday, November 13th, it's our commitment weekend for Project One for our whole church family. And so we're just asking you between now and then, just, just pray about what God is doing in you and then what he wants to do through you. Would you, would you take that card, that, just look at that card, and, and, and now would you just pray with me? What's keeping you from going all, all in? Would, would you just name that right now? Is it, is it debt? Is it unbelief? Is it fear? Is it you were burned by another church? Is it like, dude, I, I don't even know if I can trust you or this. Like, I totally get all of those things and they are all valid feelings and thoughts. I, I just want you to name it though. And just pray and ask God, God, would you, would you help me with this? Would you, would you help me with this? with this barrier here, with, with, this, with, this, with this hindrance here, would you help me? God, I, I just pray that right now your spirit is moving and working in all of our hearts and, and, and you're just igniting a fire. You're igniting a flame inside of us to live for the glory of God, to live for something and to give ourselves something that is so much bigger than us. God, let your spirit move in our hearts and just give us an, a, a disdain for living for such a small story that's wrapped up in me. God, would you ignite a fire in us to live for something bigger than ourselves, to give ourselves to something bigger than ourselves. And like Paul said in Philippians chapter two, as we pour ourselves out for the great news of the gospel, we will find joy in doing so together. And so God, would you use this season, use this series to unite our minds and hearts together as one. Just like you did in the book of Acts. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as our team leads us in worship?